0: The following podcast is brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team from Secondary Learners Educational Standards Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. As we commence this podcast today, let us acknowledge the traditional custodians of all the lands on which this podcast will be played around New South Wales. Their art, storytelling, music and dance, along with all First Nations people, hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and hopes of Aboriginal Australia. Let us acknowledge with honour and respect our Elders past, present and future, especially those Aboriginal people in our presence today who have and still do guide us with their wisdom.
1: Welcome to the Creative Cast podcast series. I'm Alex Papasavis, and I'm a Creative Arts Curriculum Officer with the New South Wales Department of Education. Our topic for today's episode is stage six in the HSC, and I'll be speaking with two highly experienced visual arts teachers about case studies, what artists they teach about, the way they organize content, and the specific strategies they use in their programming and in the classroom to support student success in the critical and historical studies component of the visual arts course. I'm joined now by Brian Shan from Burn High School in rural New South Wales. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Could you tell me a little bit about your background in teaching to start us off?
2: Hi, Alex. So I'm currently head teacher administration at Burn High School, and that's halfway between Dubbo and Tamworth, and I started my teaching career here in 2002.
1: Great. Tell me a bit more about Coonabaraburn High School. What's it like teaching visual arts in a smaller rural
2: setting? So visual arts is a long established part of our school culture. Uh, We offer mandatory stage four and elective stage five visual arts, as well as visual arts and photography courses in stage six. And we're a comprehensive high school with an Aboriginal student population of 22%. And our senior visual arts and photography classes, they cater to a broad range of students. Uh, Some of us studied art and media in year nine and 10 as well as students who have only studied art in the mandatory course. So one of the unique features of our school is the broad range of subjects we offer to senior students. And as a result, our senior classes are normally smaller than juniors, which provides Mm -hmm. more focus, more one-on-one time with our seniors. And the majority of the HSC students I've taught over the years have achieved their highest marks in visual arts. So the value adding plays a really important role in student success Saying that, our school is located in a low socioeconomic area and the students I teach come with a diverse range of needs.
1: Yeah, good. Um, So our topic for this episode is about Stage 6 in the HSC. We know that case studies are a really big part of the visual arts course in Year 12. Could you give us a quick rundown of the case studies that you've got on offer this year?
2: So Alex, we cover a mix of contemporary and historical artists in the Senior case Studies, which tends to reflect our journey through the syllabus content areas, postmodern artists such as Anza Holker, uh, James Angus, feminist Mm -hmm. artists, Jenny Holzer, Barbara Kruger, the Guerrilla girls, as well as focusing on photographic, architectural and sculptural practice. And as well as that, I'm always showing students a variety of artists that relate to their art making and bodies of work. So Daniel Agda, mm. Del Cat Barton, Lee Ball, Gregory Crutzen and Alexia Sinclair, as well as, of course, the greatest hits, modern artists. Yeah,
1: and I'm sure there's a, a lot of very familiar names in there for teachers listening from their own case studies. I know that a lot of the artists you just mentioned have figured in my teaching in year 12 as well. I'd love to hear a, a bit more about how you approach developing that case study offering. I know you've got some pretty interesting ideas here. Would you able to give us a more detailed account of a particularly successful case study and how it came about?
2: Yeah, thanks, Alex. So it's funny looking back over 20 years out of teaching visual arts case studies, and if anything, I'm focused on art writing at a more explicit level now, and I'm Mm -hmm. crafting my case studies to build students' writing and interpretation skills. I'm always looking for new approaches to teaching art, so over the last few years, I've actually focused on developing my case studies around responding to Section 1 HSC questions, the old, mm-hmm. um, the unseen plate. And this came yeah. about actually by looking at HSC WRAP data. So when NASA finally broke down the HSC Visual Arts results by question, I was able to map out my students' strengths and weaknesses for each question. And the data I got back from my RAP analysis showed my students did quite well in Section 2 long responses, but Section 1 was inconsistent, especially for a a 12-mark type question that required more elaboration in the student's response. So in the past, I've been showing students Section 1 questions leading up to the trials and as part of the HSC revision. But for the last few years, I've focused on explicitly teaching case studies through the Section 1 format. So the type of explicit teaching is called split screen teaching, where students are learning the process and the skills of writing and learning case study content at the same time comes out of Klaxon's work. And it's like meta learning. Mm -hmm. I start this process really early at the beginning of year 11, where I focus on writing reports and exam responses for visual arts alongside the teaching case studies. And so by the end of year 11, students understand paragraph and report writing structure and that meta-language of art, as well as being introduced to content, the frames, practice, and the conceptual framework. But also, I'm going to add here, I've been attending the department's HSC Professional Learning High Leverage Strategies, which is Mm -hmm. excellent, by the way, and I've been lucky enough to work collaborative with the visual arts team as a community of engagement member. So some of the strategies I'd like to talk about have direct links to the high leverage strategies, including building understanding, darts, questioning, whole class discussion and teacher-created resources. So section one, this section one sort of program focuses, really starts at term four at the beginning of the year 12 course. And we normally have a week of prac and a week of theory in year 11 and 12. So we've got nine 55 minute periods in a fortnightly cycle. And so Mm -hmm. the students are given a section one question at the beginning of each week in our theory week, uh, with with the questions becoming increasingly more demanding over the term. And so The students have attempted the initial section one question, which is a five marker. And then we actually go in and build understanding about the demands of the question. So I give the students a copy of the marking criteria, as well as an analysis of the question and three Mm -hmm. example student responses, which I've written, but they're example responses. And each response represents a different part of the marking criteria. So one to two marks, then three to four, and then a five mark response. And the students read each response and then we're looking at the marking criteria. We have a whole class discussion around the discriminating features of each one. And this is a really good yeah. activity because it shows the students what an exemplar looks like as well as responses that aren't as strong. And the students are normally writing about mid-level anyway. So they're comparing mm-hmm. their, their own responses to the examples. Then we unpack the question as well as the format as well of a section one question. And so I use a mnemonic to help with this. Hey, slick, think quick. So the acronym QUIC stands for question, image, citation, which gets the students thinking about the components of a section one question. And so Mm -hmm. to to then unpack the question, the Q in QUIC, the acronym SLIC stands for syllabus link, information, Mm -hmm. concepts, and keywords. Now we're doing like high leverage strategies called darts, which is directed activity related to text where the students engage yep. at this deeper level with the example responses. And this time the highlighters come out and I'm getting students to use separate color to highlight the questions components identified through slick. So syllabus link information concepts mm-hmm. keywords. And so then we do the same for each response, only this time the acronym we're using is SLIM, where the concepts and keywords change to meaning. So mm-hmm. the better, the better responses here are they're even in the highlighter color, like the highlighter sort of, you know, yellow and pink at all at the same time, where the lower mark responses, yep. they've kind of got only one color, such as like information copied from the source material. They've just been quoting. And this shows the students visually how to each response is either balanced or it's just ignoring those syllabus links and meaning. And so straight away you're getting, ah, yeah, that's a really good response. Mm. That's the five marks or Ooh, that's all yellow. That's one to two marks for a particular reason. And so this ability to be able to unpack the question at, at that mm. example level becomes really important. And, and look, we focus on one question a week. So one section, one question a week in our theory lessons and I've sequenced each question to become more sophisticated in its cognitive demand. And at the same time, I'm reducing the level of scaffolding provided to assist the students in answering the question. So I'm moving from this modeled to guided and then of course, independent learning over the course of the term. And look, of course, all throughout this process, students are learning syllabus content. They're learning artist practice through the frames. Uh, we might start off with uh, postmodern frame because they've already had experience in year 11 with the postmodern frame. So in section yep. one, it's, it's it's still the same syllabus content, but they're just learning it now within section one. And so we've yep. also um, we've focused on architecture as well and site-specific work. So we're sort of covering a couple of case studies throughout the term. And what I've found since teaching Section 1 explicitly is that the students' responses have improved, but more importantly, their ability to elaborate in those longer 12 mark responses has also improved, which was really the point that we got from the RAP data in the first place. And so yeah. they, can, they can actually conceptualise practice more clearly, and that explicit thinking is more apparent in both their class discussion and written responses. And so this whole process, I've really found value. And I I think the value has been shown within my current students and where they're up to and how they're... And I mean, you just work these things um, and fine-tune them over time. So, yeah, so hopefully, you know, this is something that I'd like to continue and and see how it develops. Yeah,
1: I think that sounds like such an interesting way of approaching the teaching of that content. So when you... uh... Presenting content explicitly as these are the artists that we're looking at, this is the theme for this case study, you're always taking it back to that format of of a five mark, an eight-ish, a 12 mark or so question, like here's an image and a citation, a little bit of a reading, go off, and then we'll come back and unpack all of those responses and code them out very explicitly.
2: Yes, so it's this idea of the thinking about what is this question asking? You know, what's the demands Mm. of this question, which I can understand myself is I'm actually showing that thinking very explicitly. So I've got a a sheet for the first example that would have, this is the syllabus link, the postmodern frame. This is the information, plate one, and the source material. This is the concept, challenges, traditional ideas of art, and these are the key words, uh, discuss how. And so you actually talk about that, and but then you're saying, well, how does that translate into a written response as well? And so by step-by-step-by-step by step by step showing this is actually what this question is all about and this is what mm. you actually have to provide in your response to answer it correctly, Yeah, you, you're teaching them, but you're also saying things like, well, in a five mark, you don't want to get into as much depth as you do for a 12 mm-hmm. or a 14 marker. And how do you get that depth? Well, you're pulling out maybe three or four concepts in a 12 marker where where a five marker is only just maybe one or maybe two key concepts and you're discussing them quite broadly. This is so interesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And look, it's something that I've been working on for a few years and then I've done the high leverage strategies as well, which really- yeah, And that's excellent professional up. learning. Well, the thing is, is that it's the templates there within that, high leverage strategies document. And so I was going, oh, I'm kind of doing this, but wow, this makes so much more sense. Mm. And so this idea of you're doing both at the same time through split screen teaching, which is process plus content. But at the same time, you're actually saying, this is really what we need to provide. Like, this is what the markers are looking for. And Mm. have you included this and this and this, but you're doing it in a way that all of those things happen at once. So it's not just... Well, here's the case study info. Here's some questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, give me a 500-word response. See you in a week. It's, it's really yeah. working together. And then and we do this as a, as a whole class group discussion quite early. And then I actually, because it was term four, I gave them questions to, to do over the holidays. Now, look, some did them, some didn't. But when we came back and we did our, our half yearly exam in term one, their responses were were 110% improved because they'd actually had this ongoing Mm -hmm. practice of of doing section one. They've still got all the skills of section two, that they've kind of learned throughout year 11. And now we're moving back like in terms two and three, we'll move back to more that traditional case study that's going to build for a section two response, but they've, they've understood as well, how to unpack a section two question by using slick. So, you know, I mean, you can't do this, I don't think, at the start of year 11. You have to really build those basics about, you know, this is what we're looking for in a in a typical art response. But that real term for year 12 time to move in, i found found has, has become a natural progression.
1: And it's good timing as well, isn't it? Because you can now say the HSC course has begun. We need to start thinking about bodies of work. We need to start thinking about the exam more seriously. This is when go time really
2: happens in the course. Look, definitely. And I think, you know, as we know, the section one is a bit of a discriminator in terms of students and how their ability to understand the syllabus content. I've sometimes thought
1: of it that um, section two might might assess more how the students, like how much they know. And then section one is more assessing how well they're able to use those skills to analyse artworks.
2: Yeah, definitely. And so I think you have to get to a particular point within the stage six course of study where the students are beginning to learn how to do that, and they might not be quite there yet. But you mm-hmm. you then actually have to explicitly teach their skills. And I don't think you, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to be able to walk in and see an image that you've never seen before and say, well, what does it mean? Yeah. But you're actually now saying, well, here's the syllabus content we can choose, you know, but it's understanding and drawing out those, those concepts from the question that's being posed to students and being able to get them to, to link back to, to other um, case studies that they've learned about within, within their course of study. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, really different to, to focus on teaching case studies but via a section one kind of response but at the same time, it really builds all that that broader knowledge of, of, of case studies that we're trying to teach students. So, yeah.
1: This has been so interesting, Brian. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience with our listeners today. I'm sure that people are really going to benefit from hearing your ideas and perspectives. I think it's a really innovative and interesting way to approach the HSE course. And thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Thanks, Alex. Been a pleasure.
1: My next guest is Mel Casson from Bosley Park High School. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mel.
3: Hi, thanks for having me, Alex.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about your school background and and what the culture of visual arts is like there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Bosley Park High School is a large co-educational high school in southwest Sydney. There's approximately 1,400 students at the school. 82% of the student population come from a language background or dialect other than English. And around 10% of our students are from a refugee background. Um, In the past, the school has been recognized for its broad curriculum including programs that support the development of talent and high potential in a range of areas and that was including visual arts as well mm-hmm. as uh, robotics accelerated maths performing arts dance music and drama and we also have a selective talented football program at the school for both girls and boys
1: could you tell us a little bit more about your visual arts department
3: yeah absolutely so the visual arts department is a standalone visual arts department not a kappa faculty which is exciting um, Mm -hmm. because it's such a big school it comprises of seven art teachers and that includes your highly experienced and new scheme teachers and each teacher has knowledge skills and expertise in various art making practices and many of the staff are practicing artists themselves Mm -hmm. and that sees that knowledge and passion transform into their classroom practice which really further enriches learning for our students which is really nice
1: you yeah. must have a lot of classes running with seven teachers in the department.
3: Yeah, we do. We have our mandatory periods for Stage 4 are run in Year 7, mm-hmm. but we are fortunate enough to run Year 8 electives at our school mm. as well, and we yep. offer elective visual arts. And we also do some cross-curricular elective courses. with, one with English and we run a photojournalism course, which is really exciting. Cool. and we run a design course that's cross curricular course with industrial arts and it encompasses aspects of graphic design as well as product design yeah
1: that sounds really exciting and
3: yeah and at stage 5 we have or we have visual design visual arts and uh photo media run at the school and we currently have two visual arts classes in year 9 one visual design and one pdm and in year 10 i think that's almost mirrored we have two visual arts, one visual design and one PDM. And in stage six currently we have one year 11 visual arts class and one PVD mm-hmm. and the same in year 12, one visual arts class and one PVD. So it is okay. a quite a large faculty.
1: So in your HSC classes this year, what case studies are you looking at?
3: Yeah, so look, The year 12 case studies that I've developed at our school, I've developed a real systematic approach to unpacking the case studies because when I analysed my HSE data, I really identified the weakness in student results were in the written component and in Mm. in particular, students' ability to deeply interpret works. Um, So this was a little bit of a driver for me to revisit the case studies and implement some specific strategies inside them as well to really target lift in that area. Mm So case study one, which is titled The Artists Who Express an Informed Point of View, which is the discriminating feature of visual arts, mm-hmm. and we look in particular at the artists from the Archibald. So we're looking at Australian artists, and there's a focus on Brett Whiteley, Del mm-hmm. Catherine Barton, and Abdul Abdullah in that particular case study. And in case study two, it's titled Art Outside the Gallery, and this really explores contemporary artists that create public sculpture or site-specific work that really challenge audiences' perception of what art is. And we focus on artists Teo Jensen and Andy Goldsworthy, Damien Hurst, and Ron Muick. Mm-hmm. And for Case Study 3, it's titled Artists as a Political and Social Commentator. Yep. And we look at a, a focus on Asian artists and we look at a Wei We also look at Mariko Mori mm-hmm. and Yasumasa Morimura. Sure. And for case study four, it's titled Identity, and there is a focus there on contemporary Aboriginal artists. And we look at Lynn Onis, Black Douglas, Carla Dickens, and Jonathan Jones as well. Yep. And case study five is called the, the Role of the Art Critic. And we gen- generally tend to complete this after the trial exam to keep students um, on task and focus right to the end. Mm. And we look at the rise of modernism in the 20th century, And in particular, Robert Hughes' interpretation of this through the shock of the new series. Mm -hmm. And then in contrast to that, we then analyse the role of contemporary art in the 21st century and the demands that it has on audiences through the new shock of the new documentaries. (laughs) And that sort of, that takes us right through to the end, so it's quite comprehensive.
1: (laughs) So, Mel, could you give us a bit more of a detailed account of your process and how you approach that development Mm -hmm. of the case studies?
3: As I mentioned earlier, I have developed a systematic approach to unpacking um, and delivering the case studies with U12. Mm-hmm. And when I analysed the data, I saw the weakness was the need was in this area. So I immediately sort of set to work to develop a, and implement a series of strategies to really target lift in this area. And the first thing I do is I start with a purposely selected quality documentary. And I think I do this because mm-hmm. it engages all learners of all abilities. And I think that this really helps with the storytelling for students to reveal the intention of the artist practice. And I find that this is the hook for my students. And this is where I get the buy-in from them. And following that documentary, we'll engage in class class discussion after viewing the documentary, and the students will share their new knowledge that they've just learnt to the class, and we construct notes based on these findings. And this is the high-level strategy of note making, mm-hmm. which is very different to note-taking. And I find that I don't really ever write notes on the board for students to copy. I just don't think my students learn from that.
1: Do you think you could quickly explain that difference between note taking and note making for people that might not be familiar with the high leverage strategies?
3: Yeah, so note taking will generally be where teachers will write a series of notes on the board and ask the students to copy it down. Mm -hmm. And they don't really unpack or discuss the information it's much more purposeful for students to develop their own notes and that's where the note making comes in so on the back of the class discussion so once we've watch the documentaries and we're involved in a class discussion, the students are then equipped to write their own independent notes. Mm. And sometimes we do that collectively in small groups or even as a class, it could be a class discussion and we develop a series of notes together. That is a culmination of all of their findings. And I think that's where I found my students learn best where they're sharing their interpretations as a class Yep. And we develop a series of notes as a class. And it's almost like the next step after how they've actually interpreted the information from the documentary and how they're then going to use those those notes to then help them with the following activities that uh, will come afterwards. Yeah. So after after I do that, I, I've do, I develop my own faculty, develop case study booklets, and these mm-hmm. tend to include articles, reviews you know, quality sources of information on the artists and I embed specific questions that relate to the three content areas of the frames, conceptual framework and practice into these booklets. Yep. So the students are consistently making reference to them. And I think it's really important that they're consistently building an understanding of those three content areas and, you know, the interrelated nature that they're intended to be, which is outlined in our syllabus quite clearly. We tend to engage in that case study booklet as a class. We will read through the notes. We'll engage in darts-related activities like marking the text and annotating as we go. And the students are then drawing information out of those, those booklets relating to the three content areas. And I think, again, that's building their understanding of those and it's assisting them to answer with, you know, short or long answer questions down the track.
1: And when you annotate or mark up pieces of writing, Mm -hmm. are you asking students to consider maybe perspectives from the frames or language from the conceptual framework?
3: So generally what they're doing is they're highlighting the text in reference to the questions I've posed. Mm. And the questions that I've posed throughout the booklet will be in reference to one of the three content areas, you know, questions that range from lower order to higher order questions and that Mm -hmm. um, caters for all the students, you know, because I have high support and high challenge students in my class. Yep. And so I think that level of questioning helps challenge them. But, yeah, the questions are focused on the three content areas and we are looking at drawing information out of the source consistently through those activities, yeah. the DARTs-related activities.
1: Do you find it helps to be quite explicit about the content areas, particularly in the HSC course where we might expect students to have a little bit more of that meta-understanding of syllabus and the fact that they're going to have to go off and apply that language in the exam, choose questions based on practice frames or conceptual framework.
3: Absolutely in year 11 we spend a significant amount of time um, unpacking and developing an understanding on those three content areas separately Mm -hmm. and then we're looking at starting to interrelate those and overlap them and you can see evidence of that in students writing because they've developed such a strong foundation understanding of them in year 11 when they're going into year 12 straight away they're starting to interrelate and interweave those three content areas and they're quite then equipped to answer any question uh, whether it's a practice, a conceptual framework or a frames question, they're equipped to do that. But they understand the impact of interrelating those three content areas will then result in really high interpretations, which is what we're looking for at the, you know, the top of the scale, so to speak. Another thing that I do is I have developed my own faculty-developed scaffolds that actually do fo- focus on the three content areas. And I've developed these scaffolds to suit the needs of my students. And I think mm. that they've really greatly assisted with the building of their their understanding of them, but also their interpretation skills. And I again, I try to get students to even work in groups in this area too, Alex, where we're using the scaffold almost as a draft for a short response question. Mm. And if we're, for example, our focus is on the conceptual framework and I've got the students divided up into four groups, where one group is allocated each aspect of the conceptual framework. We have an artist, an artwork, an audience, and a world group. And they're completing Mm -hmm. that scaffold and compiling information in just that one area. And then, again, we collectively share those interpretations to the whole class. So we're building the scaffold collectively um, as a class. And I think that that's where the students are learning best from one another. And I think that's really powerful and definitely in my context anyway. And and at the end of that, as I said, they've de- created a draft response for a short uh, question that I could then pose to them and they could then be really well-equipped to answer that short answer question mm-hmm. independently because they've watched the documentaries. They've got notes from the note-making discussions. They've completed the case study booklet questions And then they have the faculty developed scaffold that they've completed. So they're really confident at that point to answer a question. And that actually follows the high leverage strategy of whole class discussion, group work and independent student activity. So that's what works really well in, in, in my context.
1: I like the idea of, you know, going backwards and forwards between getting the students to come to an individual understanding, but then that co-creation mm-hmm. of a class set of notes and sharing and having students mm-hmm. you know reteach and explain that content to each other mm-hmm. as a as a reinforcing strategy but also as just a an yep. active classroom right with your engaged students sharing information with each other yep. sounds ideal
3: yeah it's It works well, and I think it's the repetition of the process because we do that for each artist, for each of the case studies. So as I mentioned earlier in the case studies, there's generally three artists in a case study, if not more. So the students are doing that process three times. So it does sound repetitious, but it really works. And each time we're focusing on a different content area. So if we go back to, say, case study one, which was the artists that express it in point of view. My focus for Whiteley is on practice. My focus for Del Catherine Barton is on frames. And my focus for Abdul Abdullah Dullar is conceptual framework. That way the students have developed an interrelated understanding of those three artists through the three content areas. Yeah. And then they can finally, you know, ultimately at the end of that, they can complete an extended response question at the end of that case study and bring all of those artists into discussion.
1: Yeah. And from what you told me, it sounds like your final case study has this big art history focus, maybe an overview, where mm-hmm. you're looking at critical and historical writing, maybe about a lot mm-hmm. of different artists. And I wonder, do you find that uh, having this case study at the end of your sequence, where they've already developed mm-hmm. all those skills, it leaves your students a little bit better equipped to tackle what might be a little bit heavier content?
3: Correct. I think that the artists that I I sort of pick for the four case studies prior to this are artists that I think one, well, they align with, with all of the content areas. And if we look at each, each particular case study, there's a little bit of a a focus through the different aspects of the conceptual framework. You know, when you look at the case study one, where the artists are really creating artwork for in the Archibald, they're really looking at a portrait, which tells a story. So it's really about the artwork. And then when you look at the uh, social issues, case study it's really about the world Mm. and when we look at outside the gallery it's really about the audience and then when we look at the identity case study with the indigenous artists it's about the artists and their cultural understanding and background being conveyed through their art so i think that that's sort of something that i have purposefully done but that that fifth case study which generally the students are pretty exhausted at that time (laughs) And I think that that particular case study is almost a formation of really what they've spent time understanding through their whole visual arts education, not just in year 12 or in stage six. Mm. It's just really the, almost a recap of what was ha- happening in the modernism period and what uh, a contemporary artists, dr- what's driving their practice and how that's really changed the way audience interact with art and the way we see art. So it's almost like a, a little bit of an overview for me. And I think the way that I've set it up with viewing the documentaries and answering specific questions, it's just more achievable and attainable in that space when the students are, have an extensive amount of knowledge. They've put it into practice, into the trial, and it's just really consolidating a lot of their findings and really just doing a bit of a recap on, on a lot of things that they've learned over the years. So sometimes you th- I have thought whether that case study would be better at the beginning but it seems to be working better at the end.
1: Mel, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you today and thank you so much for sharing particularly some insight into the high leverage strategies in your visual art classroom. Mm -hmm. And I hope our teachers will really benefit from hearing your ideas and perspectives.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Alex, and letting me share some of the practices um, from my classroom. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Creative Cast and we'll see you next time.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team of Secondary Learners Educational Standards Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. Get involved in the conversation by joining our statewide staff room through the link in the show notes or email our Creative Arts Curriculum Advisor, Catherine Horvat, at creativearts7-12 at det.nsw.edu.au. The music for this podcast was composed by Alex Manton and audio production by Jason King.